Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Breaking Beauty, the podcast all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. We're your hosts, Jill Dunn and Carlene Higgins. Hey, hey, pod fam. Welcome back to another episode of Breaking Beauty Podcast. I'm Jill and I'm here with Carlene. Hey, Carlene. Hello. And we're two longtime beauty editors turned beauty podcasters, of course. And we're here to tell you what's good every single week. We have to shout out our listeners who have, I mean, we have to give them an extra special thank you because they actually did what we asked and left us some more reviews, which we love. So thank you. Yeah, an Apple podcast. And it really means so much to us whenever our audience connects with us there and lets us know what they think of the show and provide feedback or give us five stars. We so appreciate it. And why that's important for us is because it helps with discoverability of our show and it helps fellow beauty lovers find us. And all we ever want to do is reach those beauty lovers out there. And actually, if you're listening today on your podcast app, hit pause right now and click share. You can share this episode and you're going to want to share this with the skincare lover in your life who maybe feels kind of overwhelmed. You know, your friend who texts you from the aisles of Sephora with a photo of the basket and they're going, which one should I buy? Text it to that friend because I think they're going to love it. I didn't even know you could share like that. That's awesome. (laughs) I think the podcaster with the worst tech ability, I swear. But yes, okay, I'm going to tell you what's on deck today. We have a skincare basics episode. It's your guide to serums with Dr. Sam Bunting. I've honestly learned so much from her YouTube channel, and I'm thrilled we get to speak with her today. So Dr. Sam Bunting is a London-based skin specialist with more than 20 years of experience in clinical dermatology. She also has an eponymous award-winning skincare range, Dr. Sam's, which she launched in 2018. In this week's episode, Dr. Bunting is going to walk us through how to find the right serum for your skin type, layering your serums, which we had so many questions about in our Facebook chat room, which ones you can layer and which ones you should not. She's going to tell us which targeted ingredient she believes is the biggest unsung hero. Can you guess? Can you guess? And the one popular type of serum that she thinks is a total pass, you guys. We've talked about this type of serum in the past and she's saying, no, not worth the coin. Yeah. All of that plus, do you really need to shell out several hundred dollars to get a formula that delivers results? We get the answer to that too. And friendly reminder that every single product that's mentioned today, we link to it over on our website, which is breakingbeautypodcast.com. We always recap each and every episode with a blog. So here she is. Welcome, Dr. Sam Bunting. (music) 
Today's episode is brought to you in part by Way. So we often talk about skincare routines around here. Let's talk about hair. With products for every hair type and texture, Way has everything you need to make your locks look stunning. So I'm going to drop my personal routine right here, right now. I use the Way's shampoo and conditioner for fine hair because now that my hair is longer, I'm going for butt length, guys. Like I want people to start asking me if I'm wearing extensions. I do find that it falls a little flatter though, especially at the roots. So I'm back into the fine hair formulas to help pump up that volume. I always use a wide tooth comb in the shower with my conditioner. So that really helps cut through the bird's nest effect. And then I wash my hair every three days. You know, I'm lazy slash busy. So I always use dry shampoo in between. Every other wash, it's really important. I switch out my fine hair shampoo for Waze Detox Shampoo. It's one of our favorite products for getting rid of product buildup. It's got apple cider vinegar and that helps to exfoliate the scalp so my roots won't get greasy. It's like a reset button for your hair. It's so good. It just feels really clean and not weighed down afterwards. And then I always use the Waze Leave-In Conditioner. Gotta have it. Use it on damp hair. It helps detangle. It's a hybrid formula, so it helps protect my hair against heat styling, like blow dryer or curling iron. And I love that because otherwise it kind of gets really dry and snaps off and I get this breakage and it stands up. That's no good. That's a must-have product. That's my hair routine. If you guys are looking to build yours, we have a promo code for you. Find your way, get a customized hair routine when you take their quiz at theway.com and use code beauty to get 15% off your purchase. That's 15% off your entire order at T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com code beauty. We'll link to the offer in our show notes and on our website. And now back to the show. What's up, everyone? I'm Kristen Cavallari. And I'm Stephen Coletti. We're so excited to announce Dear Media's new podcast, Back to the Beach with Kristen and Stephen, where we'll revisit all of your favorite episodes of Laguna Beach, The Real Orange County, and unveil behind-the-scenes secrets, tea, and all sorts of new insight into this groundbreaking show. So join us every Tuesday. Available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm already feeling nostalgic. Welcome, Dr. Bunting. So let's start with the basics. What is a skincare serum and do I need one? So serums were traditionally a single phase way of delivering a high level of active ingredients. And I suppose when you say serum, I think most people will think active ingredients. So retinoids, AHAs, and so forth. But I think as the term has been adopted to, you know, basically imply something luxurious, spendy, scientific, I think the term has kind of moved away from that. And now you can pretty much find anything. You can find a sunscreen in the serum format. You can find a moisturizer that's a serum. So I think the consumer probably thinks about texture. They think of a, a bottle with a pet. For me, I think about actives. I think about concentration. I think about the right actives for the right problem. So yeah, it's sort of open to interpretation, but the true meaning of a serum, I think, is this idea of delivering something that's highly active into the skin in a way that is delivered to the site that you want to get it to. And what about the second part of that question? Is it a need? <laughs> Do you need one? Is it a want? What is it? <laughs> I mean, again, I think it's based on the ingredients. So for me, 
everything starts with what am I trying to solve? What am I trying to achieve? Let's face it, very few people are lucky enough to just want to preserve their skin, in which case go forth, use cleanser, moisturizer, SPF and be done with it. But I think for most people, there's something, there's a poor clarity issue, or there's a brightness thing, or you know, there's fine lines are starting to creep in. And I think as soon as you start thinking about that, you are thinking about targeted ingredients that solve a problem. And I think for that makes sense then to seek out a serum that meets those needs. What about when you should apply your serum? Because a lot of people are confused about that. Where does it kind of fall in the routine? Okay. So, you know, typically we're investing a little bit more here. You know, this is where the kind of the action is happening in the routine. So you want Mm -hmm. to apply it ideally in a way that gets the maximum bang for your buck. So that means ideally applying to cleanse skin before your moisturizer, your sunscreens, for obvious reasons, right? You're going to get maximum penetration. Nothing's going to impede the product getting into the skin because most of the time where we want to get actives is somewhere, you know, into the epidermis and indeed the dermis, the deeper layer of the skin, particularly when we're thinking about preventing and treating the signs of aging. That's where the fibroblast lives that produces collagen elastin, hyaluronic acid, those kind of things. So we really want penetration. So you don't want anything blocking that. Now, the caveat to that will be when you're starting out with something like a retinoid, a derivative of vitamin A, the most kind of investigated and understood active ingredient we have and probably the most powerful. And we know that this tends to be something where there's like a bit of a learning curve the first couple of months that you start using it. So it's the one time when you might think about doing the opposite and actually applying your moisturizer first, because that helps mm. improve the tolerability of that active ingredient. So we call buffering. And I use that a lot. It's probably my most useful tip when it comes to helping patients in particular. So not just like my customers for the brand, but you know, patients in the clinic where we're using really potent active ingredients that have a lot of potential for irritation and then inverting it and doing moisturizer before the serum actually makes sense. Hmm, that's interesting. I haven't heard that tip before. I do that. I do that with my retinol. It really helps. Yeah. Yeah. But I think when it comes to the over-the-counter space, so we're not using prescription items, most of the time, this, the, the right product for you will be fine to apply on to cleanse skin. And in fact, because you want to get as much potency out of those over-the-counter products as possible, that's that's the ideal way to apply them. Right. Let's talk about antioxidant serums, because I think this is a huge category. Maybe you could explain, you know, what these are and what sort of skin is best suited, what skin type for an antioxidant serum, and which are kind of the gold standard ingredients that you look for. Sure. I mean, you know, if you go outside, you probably need an antioxidant, right? So, you know, free radical damage is, you know, Probably 80% of why we age is an extrinsic thing. It's controllable. So it's why I think anybody who knows about skin tells you to put a sunscreen in place. That's kind of like your first serum, if you will. It's your first eye cream. It's literally the most important thing before you do any of the other fun stuff. And then you kind of want what I think of as a belt and braces kind of approach because we're imperfect, sadly. And a lot of us are not going to actually do the second application of sunscreen because we're sitting at a desk or at our office. And you're kind of managing UV exposure later in the day by, you know, walking in the shade or, you know, not popping out for any significant period of time. But you'll always get a little bit of UV exposure incidentally, you know, sitting by a window, whatever. So I think having that antioxidant layer in the morning under your moisturizer and sunscreen is, is kind of that extra layer of attack to kind of neutralize any free radicals that get generated by UV, by pollution and so forth. So I think they're really important for prevention. 
I do think that you have a lot of molecules that have other benefits as well. So retinoids have an antioxidant function. Niacinamide or vitamin B3 has an antioxidant function, but they do lots of other things as well. And I'm all for, you know, combining ingredients with, that do different things. They control pigmentation, they build collagen, and they work as antioxidants as well. And that's where I think you get the real wow factor when you combine ingredients with multiple actions in the skin. I feel like vitamin C is recommended a lot as a, as a, you know, sort of the top antioxidant if you were doing that kind of single targeted approach. Yep. For myself, I find I have a real intolerance to vitamin C. My yep. skin gets really Red. itchy. Yeah. It get, it's itchy and it's like it doesn't even matter if it it could be the first time that I apply it. So I'm curious, is this the serum's fault or is this just we're a bad match together or like what kind of <laughs> I mean, vitamin C in its most active form. But I think vitamin C is one of those ways. It's a bit like hyaluronic acid. It gets a lot of attention. And, you know, relative to some of the other ingredients that I'm perhaps more passionate about, I think it doesn't necessarily deliver the same transformative impact on the skin as, say, retinoids, for example. I think it's a lovely ingredient to have. It's an antioxidant. It helps build collagen, an anti-inflammatory ingredient as well. But the one type that we know the most about, which is L-ascorbic acid, has to be formulated to a pH of 3.5 or lower. Now, that is intensely irritating to those with very sensitive skin who are sensitive to low pH. And sometimes it's just not tolerable, even if, you know, in principle, we know that there are some benefits to be had. So I tend to either steer clear of that in, in those patients who really just find they don't get on with it, or you try the vitamin C derivatives, the esters, so they aren't acidic and they sort of dissociate into vitamin C in the skin. You get a little bit less reliable delivery potentially, but I think we can safely extrapolate a little bit from the L-ascorbic acid data. They're also easier to formulate, so you can combine them more easily with other ingredients and again, get that multitasking effect. So I don't think it's the end of the world is the bottom line. I think we have lots of other great ingredients that are powerful antioxidants. So yeah, it's having its moment, but you know, I think there are definitely other players that we can consider quite happily. Mm -hmm. Is there one that you do find that even for sensitive skin, your patients tend to, as you say, get on with it all right? Is there a recommendation? So in the clinic, we use SkinCeuticals and Abaji mm -hmm. vitamin C serum. So we use SkinCeuticals CE Ferulic. I find that tends to be probably the one I, I reach for the most if I'm using a standalone vitamin C serum. And yeah, the, the Abaji system gives us the flexibility of going from 5% up to 20%. You know, those guys have both done a lot of studies around their actual products. So I use them. We trust them. They're very reliable. Patients love them. They really notice if they don't use them, you know, yeah. loss of radiance. So I think, yeah, those are the two I go for. And, you know, I, I, I trust the guys who actually research their products and have clinical trials. You know, when you go to conferences and you see the data, that as a clinician gives me confidence. So those are the brands I go for. They are quite spendy. I know that. Mm -hmm. And I think if you don't want to invest, you know, such an amount in a vitamin C serum, like if, if I was to choose where to spend my money, would I prioritize that over a retinoid or other ingredients? Possibly not, you know, it depends again what we're trying to treat. But I, I think you can be smart about it. If money is no object, absolutely. That's one of the ones I reach for time and time again. But as I say, I don't think it's a disaster that's not in the budget. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What would be like a lower priced vitamin C that is still good quality? The Timeless brand, there's a CE for like mm -hmm. that's good. 
And as I say, I think you can reach for the vitamin C esters. Again, the ordinary mm-hmm. is good. We have some vitamin C ascorboglucoside in, in our Brightly serum, which in combination with the other active ingredients, you get a real wild factor because you've got four different actives, all with antioxidant properties working together. So I think synergy can help to compensate for maybe not being able to use the single agent at the higher percentage. I was going to ask what you would recommend for somebody like me that's like a, a great antioxidant serum. You said there are other ingredients you would go to. What would somebody like me look for if I was if I was just skipping vitamin C? Yeah. So if, if you're sensitive or prone to irritation at all, then I think one of the first ingredients to think about adding into your regime is niacinamide because it has an ability to build up the skin barrier. So I find it terribly helpful in sensitive skin patients who are looking to start a retinoid. So I'll often pre-treat them with niacinamide because it boosts ceramide production, it's anti-inflammatory. It often starting to target the same things that you want the retinoid to tackle anyways. It helps with poor clarity, fine lines, it helps with breakouts too. So it's kind of like, why wouldn't you have it in your regime basically? So I think that does a lot of heavy lifting. I think the cuchiol, the plant extract that has a similar mode of action to retinoids, has a lot um, of antioxidant power. The beauty of that is you can use it twice a day. You're not limited to just using it at nighttime as you are with retinoids. So it means you get those antioxidant properties and it's brightening and line improving of benefits, you know, through the, through the daytime as well. Those are the ones I, I go for reliably. And I find that, yeah, I mean, I, I, as I, say, I, I don't, I don't, I don't cry into my pillow if I can't use vitamin C on occasion. <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. So I think we're all doubling down on self-care with the state of the world these days. And sometimes a face mask just doesn't cut it to help boost your mental health. And that's where BetterHelp comes in. So BetterHelp is an online therapy platform that assesses your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in fewer than 48 hours. So this is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online, available to people all around the world. What I think is cool is their roster of therapists who have training in so many different diverse fields. There are trained professionals available in marriage and family counseling. There's also clinical social workers, psychologists, and more. And of course, with therapy, it can take a few tries to find the right fit for you. So BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change therapists if needed. And it's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. You can even visit their website and read testimonials and reviews of about different therapists so you can get a sense of who you'll be speaking to. And great news, they have a special offer just for Breaking Beauty listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash beauty. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at betterhelp. That's betterhelp.com slash beauty. Once again, that's 10% off your first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash beauty. We'll link to this offer in our show notes and on our website. Now back to the show. So vitamin C serums typically, you know, they're about brightening, they're about, you know, just improving tone and texture of the skin, antioxidants as well. But what if you're just straight up really dehydrated and there's so many hydrating serums I find on the market, perhaps it's obvious which skin type that's best for dehydrated skin. But I do think there is confusion in this space because someone with oily skin often can benefit from a hydrating serum. So can you tell us which skin types would most benefit from a good hydrating serum? 
So I have to be straight up honest with you here. I don't use them at all. I think okay. they are a prime example of serum marketing gone mad. You know, a moisturizer okay. is for hydrating and, you know, you can custom build one with whatever your skin needs. So I think the best functioning moisturizer will give lasting hydration through the day and can be built to, you know, deliver the level of pep that you need. So the oilier skin patient still needs a moisturizer. I agree with that, but might want to do something that's a little bit, you know, gel-like or, or lotion-like or gel cream. You build it with the ingredients that deliver those kind of textural properties because at the end of the day, if it comes to our moisturizer and sunscreen, you have to enjoy putting it on. It doesn't matter how good the ingredients list is. And I think that a lot of the time, that's why people like serums. They feel light. They don't feel heavy. Mm-hmm. So it's that part of the equation I think they're showing preference to, but they won't deliver the same long lasting oomph that a well-formulated occlusive based moisturizer will do. And because right. in my practice and also in terms of the brand, I mean, we're using a lot of active ingredients. We're almost assuming our, our, our people will be experiencing a little bit of dryness and irritation at the beginning as their skin becomes accustomed to using retinoids and things. So I want them to have access to something with, you know, Bit of them. So I'm a big fan of shea butter. I love squalane. I will combine it with humectants, but I don't ever rely on them solely. So I've literally just created a video this week. We're going out on Thursday with about why hyaluronic acid is probably one of the most overrated ingredients in skincare, because it is just a humectant. The molecules are far too large for it to get in and do anything meaningful. You know, it's really hyaluronic acid is borrowing from the glamour of fillers with this idea that somehow they can plump and make things juicy. And, you know, that might work if you're in somewhere humid like Hawaii, but it isn't going to work terribly well in kind of, you know, dark, dry London. So it's about having realistic expectations about an ingredients list because, you know, people are putting big price tags on things with hyaluronic Mm -hmm. acid in them, and it's really delivering no more than glycerin will into the skin. So they can talk all they like about breaking it down into low molecular weight or ultra low molecular weight hyaluronic acid. But at the end of the day, if you get hyaluronic acid within the skin at low molecular weight, typically it indicates inflammation. So we don't really want something external getting in and behaving like a cell signaling molecule. So let's use moisturizers for the properties of moisturization. And as I say, shea, squalene, they create elegant products. I'm a big fan of silicones. Mineral oil gets a bad rap too. I'm a big fan in the right context. So yeah, I think moisturizers shouldn't cost the earth. They should last. They should deliver prolonged hydration. And for me, a serum is not the right move for that. Mm-hmm. That's that's good to know. So the $300 hyaluronic yeah. acid serum, you can just get rid of it, take it off, get it out of the cart. Yeah. I mean, I think very few products merit being $300, to be honest. Let's talk a little bit about correcting serums, which you have touched on. So this is, I sure. do think this is the most confusing category because there's clarifying serums, there's anti-aging serums, there's brightening serums, there's CoQ10, dark spot correcting, the list goes on and on. <laughs> sure. And do you have a way of simplifying which one people should choose for their skin kind? Because I think people are like, I do have dark spots and I have wrinkles and, you know, I have zits on my forehead or whatever. So... We need like an ingredient to skin type match game. Yeah, sure. So I guess what I tend to do is I don't, there doesn't need to be 10 ingredients because so many of them do so many things that overlap. So Mm -hmm. let's take your patient with, your your person with acne tendencies and fine lines and pigmentation. Boom. That's a recipe for retinoid at night, azelaic acid in the morning. That's my go-to. I don't like life to be too complicated. 
you know, why use five ingredients if two at the right percentages will get you your results, okay? I think we can all grasp that. Add a bit of vitamin C in there in terms of prevention, you know, if, and build these things up slowly. Don't try and introduce everything all at once because then if you do have a sensitivity to one thing, you haven't got a clue what's going on. You know, you've got four mm-hmm. different, five different things happening all at once. It becomes very confusing. You're absolutely right. So I think the, the subcategorization of things, again, it's, it is it is about creating confusion because confused people, they they don't make clear decisions sometimes. You know, you're probably more likely to, to indulge and to overinvest whenever you're confused. But, you know, straight up, azelaic acid, and I think it's by far and away the most useful of all the acids. So if I think about the acid category, we have alpha hydroxy acids, we have beta hydroxy acids. I would say azelaic acid is like the unsung hero of the skincare arena. I've been yammering on about it in my YouTube channel for years, and I'm so delighted that it's finally having its place in the sun. It's, you know, trending on Google search and all the rest of it. It's an ingredient that helps with redness. So we use it on prescription in rosacea. So it's great for anybody who has those kind of red tones, like me, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, they flush up with a little bit of red wine. You know, they go from a cold outside into the hot room, they get a bit red. Perfect ingredient for that sort of person early signs of sun damage, and maybe prone to breaking out as well. You know, these things often coexist. It's very rare that we just have one problem category that mm-hmm. we're trying to, to solve. I mean, I know I'm a bit oily on my T-zone, a bit red on my cheeks. I would break out if I get stressed, and I've got fine lines. But yeah, I think, I mean, know that retinoids always going to be top for things related to the signs of aging. So whether it's fine lines, dark spots, rougher texture, sallowness that's all stuff that the retinoid takes care of vitamin b3 same very much overlapping modes of action vitamin c is in there and azelaic acid so i would say with those four ingredients i do a lot of my work um, Mm -hmm. and i get great results Mm -hmm. with it and they're ingredients that you can use consistently long term they're safe they're well studied and that's what i like i like things with that really solid evidence base behind them Okay. Okay. I think before we get into some of our Facebook questions, which is a lot to do with layering, I think maybe we can do a bit of rapid fire if you have this skin type, what you'd recommend. So if I had, let's say, pores and that was, you know, I had enlarged pores, is there a serum for that? I would say EHA in the morning, retinoid at night. Okay. That's salicylic acid. Yes. Right? Yes. yes. Or okay. azelaic acid. Both of those yes. will do well. But if you're prone to breakouts with people with core issues often are, I would do azelaic acid and the retinoid at night. Right. Okay. Okay. Now, this is one for like, I would say the serum shy. So this is people like that have rosacea or like yes. extremely sensitive skin. What would you say is the best serum for them? Either niacinamide or azelaic acid. Azelaic acid is probably one of the most, you know, reliable. It probably sounds a bit scary if you've got rosacea, right? But it's my go-to for the kind of acute phase of rosacea, but also for the tidy up phase. And it's a great antioxidant as well. So I I love azelaic acid. So that would be my go-to. Okay. Now, if I have dry skin, Mm -hmm. based on what you were saying earlier, do I just not do a serum at all for that since I'm not, you know, looking for hydration or what do you think? No. So you, obviously you need really good basics. You need to start off with the right foundation. So I would, you know, strip back on the cleansing, make sure you're just doing a gentle single cleanse. You've got a well-formulated moisturizer, like I mentioned. And that's where I'd probably start off with niacinamide. Very few people are sensitive to niacinamide. I mean, those people are all different, but there are the occasional people that won't tolerate it. But in the main, it's really well tolerated. As I said, it kind of fortifies the skin and you know, often gives you a steer of what it's going to take 
when you try the next thing. So I put that in place first. If I think that in the context of dry skin, oftentimes fine lines are more prominent, then we might be looking at a retinoid and then it's about starting the right one, a really gentle one, doing it less frequently, using my buffering technique and just, you know, it might be three months before they're using it every single day. They might have to do it every third night for a month. That's okay mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. you're still doing the right step, but you're doing it at the pace that suits your skin. What about what about oily skin types? Because I think you made a good point earlier. I'm someone with oily skin. I used to only use serum to quote unquote mm-hmm. hydrate, which obviously I wasn't doing right. But I think you gravitate towards serums because they are so yeah. lightweight and you're like, they're not going to make me break out. So what is the most beneficial serum to use though, if you are, if you do have oily skin? So I think just in terms of your point about it not being, it's not, I think you can find good hydrating serums mm-hmm. in the sense that you can it's just about finding a blend with, you know, mm-hmm. occlusive ingredients as well as humectants, right? Because mm-hmm. if you just use something like hyaluronic acid or glycerin, the problem is there's nothing to trap water in the skin. And if you don't have a humid air outside, it will suck water up from underneath and it will right. disappear off into the air. So essentially it's stealing water from your skin. So that's just, I guess, the case in point, because I think hyaluronic acid serums are also often formulated like that. So it's just to be clear, you need these other, the kind of the cling film or the you know, saran wrap kind of layer to stop the water from disappearing off. And you can find serums that are formulated like that, but mm-hmm. you know, you are more likely to get charged more for that than you are for a light cream. So like, mm-hmm. for example, CeraVe moisturizing lotion and cream, some of the most basic products around, but really, really good moisturizers because they have the right building blocks. So mm-hmm. I guess it's just to know if you're investing in a serum, you might be paying a little bit more because it's in the fancy bottle and the texture is that little bit more elegant, but you don't need to because the functionality of something more simple might be okay too. So that's, mm-hmm. I guess, not to be like a complete dream crusher, you know? You know, I know we get pleasure from our product. I just want people to mm-hmm. know where they need to invest and where they're choosing mm-hmm. to invest. That's all. What about, I know we have touched on this throughout, but what about dark spots? And, you know, do you recommend generally that somebody uses like a more targeted approach or an all over serum? What would you recommend to somebody who's prone to hyperpigmentation? Yeah, sure. So I think it's always about like, what is the cause? So are we talking about sunspots Mm -hmm. in context of sun damage? Are we talking about melasma? Mm -hmm. Are we talking about post acne marks, which are kind of the top three? So I think first thing is to control whatever's driving it. So with melasma, that means sunscreen, that means things that block visible light potentially, and, you know, clothing, you know, a proper sun protective hat with acne, it means clearing the acne up. So then you're left with, okay, now I have to get rid of the pigment that's there. So I use a lot of prescription grade hydroquinone in the practice. My approach tends not to be targeted, tends to be, I think you get the best result when you use a blended approach. And what that means is using a layer all over and then going in with the dark spot approach. If you can mm-hmm. see discrete areas where you want to target more, if you just try targeting, sometimes you end up with not a very even result because, mm-hmm. you know, hard to keep products from migrating over the edges. So a layer all over first. And I mean, I use hydroquinone, I use prescription grade azelaic acid. Those tend to be my two go-to ingredients mm-hmm. for, for proper pigment treatment. And sometimes I'll cycle them both together. Sometimes I'll cycle one through the next, you know, particularly with melasma, where we know there is that inbuilt tendency for the skin to pigment up. And you have to have a an ongoing, you know, 365 days a year management strategy come winter, come summer, doesn't really matter. It's still got to mm-hmm. be in there. So it's good to have multiple different agents to suppress that enzyme in the melanocytes, the pigment cells, the tyrosinase inhibitors, 
so you can keep something going at all times. Mm-hmm. Are there any at-home serums that are worth the money if you're trying to target hyperpigmentation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, as I say, azelaic acid is widely available. I would definitely err towards okay. the 10% strength. Start off with 5% and build up to 10% on prescription mm-hmm. use, 15 okay. to 20%. So that's one of my favorites. And then because it pairs well with other active ingredients, you combine that with vitamin C and niacinamide. And then what you're doing is you're sort of hitting the pigmentation pathway at multiple steps. And that's really the best way to effectively target pigmentation mm. in combination with the retinoid at night as well. So I, I'll often use three or four active ingredients layered up to really give you a kind of powerful result. It works really mm. well. Is there a brand though, just to get more specific for the azelaic acid that you like? So the ordinary is probably the most accessible. They do a 10% azelaic acid. You compromise a little bit on texture, but it's a, it's a really you know, effective product. Our Brightly Serum is the same, 10% azelaic acid, but in combination with Cucuchiol and vitamin C and niacinamide, that's excellent. At a higher price point, I mean, I'm trying to think. The Paula's Choice brand is also good for azelaic acid products, not a similar price point to ours. So I think those are the three brands, you know, that I recommend in terms of a targeted pigmentation approach. Mm-hmm. And in terms of pigmentation, is this same course of treatment for even for for all skin types as specifically melanated skin types? I know struggle a lot with like post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, like from acne. Yeah. Is this the same course of treatment for someone with melanated skin? 100%. I mean, I mm-hmm. think what's really key with the skin of color is that you need to be careful not to irritate. So you have to mm-hmm. be a little bit more careful, I would say, that you don't actually cause more of the same problem by creating irritation with your product. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I might have a slower approach, okay. particularly, again, when I'm using prescription-grade things. I'll often yeah. use Retin-A in combination with hydroquinone. So we want to be very careful, particularly when you're treating melasma, for instance, which again mm-hmm. is really common in that type of skin, and you're you're treating here, which veers onto the, the, the area just under the eye area, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, potentially a very sensitive part of the face. So, but yeah, again, you bring in your buffering, and mm-hmm. you know, it's it's. I, I guess I've been doing it a long time, and you get a feel for what someone's skin will cope with and what they won't. But mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, in skin that's prone to pigmentation, particularly post acne, which you can say is really most quite intense situations where you get a lot of pigment. It's so important to educate um, those with melanated skin that sunscreen is part of the toolkit. They often don't think they need it because they're not so at risk of burning. But mm-hmm. it's so important because UV rays will preferentially darken up those dark marks even more. So it really is yeah. like the foundation of a good treatment machine for PIH. Maybe you could speak to this as realistically when you should expect to be able to look in the mirror and go, that was worth the money. I can see a change right now. So I... I tend to educate patients around the, the, the six-week and the three-month mark and then multiples thereof because at the end of the day, a skin cycle is what's required, right? You need to have the skin cells that are coming through from the bottom to the top of the epidermis to have been exposed for that length of time to be modified in terms of how their the skin cells are going to behave. So they look different. They behave differently. So that's when you're talking about changes in the epidermis. And really, that's just about texture hydration. Mm-hmm. We're talking about like the big stuff, pigmentation, um, fine lines and wrinkles, elasticity, all that good stuff happens in the dermis. You know, you have to switch on genes, you have to build proteins, all of that stuff takes time. It's not like just investing in furniture and bringing it into the house, it's building the house from, you know, the ground up. And oftentimes, you're, you know, people are starting, they've already accumulated a couple of decades worth of sun exposure, or they've had ongoing acne and breakouts 
you know, for since their teenage years, they come to me for the first time in their 40s. So it really is about managing expectations. And that's in the in the prescription skincare space. We're talking about six mm-hmm. weeks, three months. I think that you can expect to see an improvement in radiance quite quickly because that's that's mm-hmm. top layer stuff, right? I mean, well, actually, radiance yeah. is multifunctional. It's based on top layer. It's based on the bottom layer as well, the derms. But, you know, you can see an improvement in cell turnover. You can see more compact stratum corneum. You can see better hydration. You can start to see an improvement in pigmentation as those dead skin cells, the keratinocytes are exfoliated away. So I often say that pigmentation and radiance, two to four weeks, you should start to see something happening if you're using the right stuff and you've got skin that can tolerate frequent enough application. Mm -hmm. Of course, all of this slows down massively if you're only able to do it two or three times a week. And, you know, I... There's a lot of people talking about recycling ingredients. And I, I don't really think there's much evidence for that. I think you just slow everything down. I don't think there's a necessity to swap hmm. retinoids out one week with, you know, AHAs or whatever. I mean, in general, I don't use AHAs very much at hmm. all. I think they're a very easy ingredient for someone to start and use by themselves, but they don't really have the intracellular power of something like a retinoid, which is literally hmm. behaving like a hormone. It's going inside skin cells and switching on genes. That is what a hormone does. It's, really very sophisticated when you think about it. Whereas AHAs are these kind of blunt tools sitting outside, breaking up bonds between skin cells, allowing them to fall off. You know, it's not that sophisticated. Yeah. And AHAs on a label, that yeah. would be something like glycolic acid, lactic acid, yeah. just for people listening. Yeah. But they're pretty addictive, I have to be honest, because you put them on at night, you wake up, you look good. You do. Sure. <laughs> no, absolutely. And they're way easier to tolerate. I think that's, yes. you know, that's easily, as you say, a quick result. Mm-hmm. And as long as you don't do too crazy with the percentage. Yeah. But it is yeah. a surface mm-hmm. thing, you know, and I guess for exfoliation sure. has been around for a long time. It's definitely a way more elegant way to do it than, you know, grinding away with little mm-hmm. gritty bits. But I just think that yeah. retinoids go up another level because you get all these other benefits as well. Yeah, it's actually changing how your skin behaves. Mm-hmm. It's teaching your skin to 100%. act sort of like it's it's younger self, mm-hmm. right? Younger self. Mm-hmm. So what they always yeah. say. So, so does that mean, is there an at-home retinol at all you would recommend that's not by prescription? Oh, yes. So I think I, I, I don't have quite that despondent view. I think mm. you can see benefits in three mm-hmm. months. So mm-hmm. as I said, I like the retinaldehyde based products. Aven does a good one. Medicate does a good one. So mm-hmm. that's one step away from tretinoin. So it's only got right. one enzyme conversion step to go through. So that's, that's pretty potent. We have Brinactive Retinoid. That's in Follows Nightly Serum. That is already active. It doesn't need to go through any conversion steps. And that's that's why I chose it because it's it's delivered into the skin and it's good to go, but it's also pretty gentle and it's a lot less unstable than mm-hmm. retinol. Retinol is probably the one that people know of. They, you know, people don't talk about retinoids. They talk about retinols, which is mm-hmm. a bit of a misuse of the term because retinol is just an ingredient that is part of the retinoid family. And I think, you know, as long as it's well packaged and it's, you know, in opaque packaging and you're not leaving it exposed to light, you know, pretty much whatever retinol product you go for is a good one. Start with a low percentage. You know, things go right up to 1%, which is really quite strong. So you want to start more like 0.1 or 0.2% potentially if you've got sensitive mm-hmm. skin. You can go into 05 if your skin is a bit more robust. So I think it's about knowing that this kind of ladder, there's a journey to be had with retinoids and that where you start is usually not where you finish up. You kind of keep mm-hmm. going up the ladder until you either reach your endpoint, the goal that you set for your skin, that might be, you know, boosted radiance, it might be control of breakouts, it might just be improvement in fine lines, or you reach your threshold for tolerance. So 
I think if you have that clarity of mind when you start out, it's so much easier. And now quick pause in partnership with our friends at Pear Eyewear. I've mentioned on the show before, I'm a Gemini and characteristically like all other Geminis, we get bored fast. We like options. So that's why I'm pumped to tell you all about Pear Eyewear. So Pear Eyewear is a customizable eyewear company. And what's great is that their base frames are so affordable. They start at just $60, including prescription lenses. And there's tons of options to fit any face. For summer, I got the Wanda base frame. It's actually clear in color. And and the shape is like a cat eye, a perfect cat eye. This just a smidge oversized. I really like how well aligned they are and the fit. And I just think that the clear looks really cool. But what sets pair eyewear apart is that they let you choose these tops that you can use to snap on the front of your glasses and change up your look on a whim, whether it's to match an outfit or your mood. They really let your glasses do the talking. You can show off your personal sense of style and it's so affordable to do so. For myself, I got the white sun topper. So these are actually very 90s inspired. They're cool. They're like pink mirrored lenses with a white frame around them. And I just pop them on the front of my Wanda glasses and I'm able to drive around and not have to fumble with a separate pair of glasses while I'm driving. And I've gotten so many compliments on them. They're really fun and really cool. So great news. We have a special offer just for Breaking Beauty listeners. You can get glasses just as unique as you are. One pair, infinite style, starting at just $60. Go to pareyewear.com slash beauty for 15% off your first purchase. That's 15% off at pareyewear.com slash beauty. That's P-A-I-R eyewear.com slash beauty. Once again, that's pareyewear.com slash beauty. We'll link to this offer in our show notes and on our website. Now back to the show. Some listeners I can imagine might feel a little overwhelmed by all the information. They're probably like, oh, well, I have this condition. I have that. So what's your rule of thumb in terms of like, should they just pick maybe two ingredients to start with in their serum routine? You know, how would you advise somebody who might be listening right now? Generally speaking, for most people, starting off with the retinoid is where I advise them to start because it will give them the biggest wow factor in the main. And it's the one ingredient class that does lots of different things. The one exception is those who've got redness. And that's where I say start with azelaic acid. So that's kind of quite easy, really. So retinoid mm-hmm. is kind of the default ingredient, azelaic acid, if you're redness insensitive. So, you know, that's that's how I think about it. Like decide what you're trying yeah. to target and learn a little bit. About it. it doesn't have to be like, you have to use the chemical structure right. of these things. But yeah. I, I think it is that simple in a way. And if you get on well with the retinoid and say we're going down the, the aging solutions route, then then you think about a bit of MC in the morning. And then if that worked out quite nicely, then maybe some niacinamide. So there you've got like a nice yeah. little recipe. And I do find that, that the combination of two, one to two of those four, retinoid, niacinamide, azelaic acid, vitamin C, I find that those work really well for a very large number of people, probably as many as 80, 90%. Which ones would be day and which ones would be night? So the only thing that's limited to nighttime is your retinoid. So that takes pride of place because, as I said, it's the most impactful. And then you kind of build the routine around that. So niacinamide is wonderful because you can pretty much slip it into anything. It can be a standalone serum if you want to. It doesn't need to be because it can go in your moisturizer. It can go in your sunscreen. It's quite compatible. 
and then you're kind of multitasking. You're not creating an extra layer, which particularly for the morning is just a bit of a nightmare. I mean, I made sure Brightly mm-hmm. Serum had four actors because nobody wants to be dealing with four serums in the morning. Like that's just, mm-hmm. you know, a recipe for falling up or pilling and, you know, mm-hmm. game over. Your makeup doesn't go on and you have to take it all off and start again. So morning, t- daytime is really more about, you know, either solution kind of to a problem. So if I'm treating acne, I might use benzoyl peroxide if they're actively breaking out a lot. If, you know, we're trying to solve pigmentation, it's vitamin C and azelaic acid perhaps. But it's really about protecting your skin against the day ahead. So that's, again, where if you really had nothing too much to worry about, you think about sunscreen and antioxidants in your serum. So Janelle in our Facebook chat room, she says, which serums can be mixed and layered in contrast? Which ones should never be mixed together? And so I think she's talking about both cocktailing where you put two in your hand. And I think that whole concept got really popular, like the smoothie and then layering one on top of the other. So do you recommend the smoothing t- or the, sorry, the putting together? I really don't. No, okay. I don't think, no. I mean, I, I think you have to rely on whoever's formulating your products know what they're doing and you mm-hmm. know it's like people who put foundation in their sunscreen it's like I'm I'm a, I'm a purist you know I'm, I'm I'm a splitter not a lumper so I I think you lose a degree of control I mean oftentimes you know if I'm treating somebody who's got t-zone acne I might want to use salicylic acid or benzoyl peroxide in the t-zone but I don't want to use it on the cheeks where the skin mm-hmm. is more prone to drying out for example so you know, that all becomes much harder if you're mixing things in together. So things that shouldn't be combined, benzoyl peroxide and retinoids are a no-no unless they've been specifically formulated as one of two of the prescription formulas are. I'd never use, as I said, retinoids and AHAs like glycolic and lactic acid together. Other big no-nos. I mean, there's lots of ones that are talked about, but a lot of them are not actually true. So the whole vitamin C niacinamide thing, I don't, isn't true based on current formulation and the way we use skincare products. They actually work very nicely together. They're very synergistic. Nicole would like to know if it's better to apply one of these single ingredient, like you mentioned, we've seen these with like the ordinary, the inky list, these single ingredient targeted serums, or is it better to use a combination serum, which I believe you talked about as well, that might have more than one of those. I think the idea being you know, some people might be concerned you're not getting enough actives if you're not using that one shot. What's your opinion? She she actually kind of equated it to like a multivitamin versus taking separate vitamins, which I thought was was smart. So what's your opinion on that? I think it depends on the quality of the combination product. You know, I think we've all seen those multivitamins where, you know, when you drill down into what's actually in that single pill, there's actually not enough of the desired amount. That's why you know, seeking out the single, you know, once we really clearly see the dosing is important. I mean, I'm a believer if it's the right combination, Mm -hmm. and as I say, it's been carefully Mm -hmm. investigated to make sure everything is working together, then that is the easy way for a consumer to get the most out of their skincare. Yeah. That's the way I like it. Take the guesswork out of it for me. I don't need it. That's my mantra. I don't need to study something before I use it. Just, you know. Now, our last question for you. We see a lot of these ingredients that we've talked about today, like niacinamide, vitamin C, hyaluronic acid in cosmetics as well. And in a lot of different products outside of serums that are kind of piggybacking or trying to do the work of serums. You know, we see vitamin C cleansers and we see hyaluronic acid in cosmetics, niacinamide in cosmetics now. I'm curious if I think some people are also worried about overload 
and just having too much of a good thing. And I wonder what your opinion is on this. Yes, I'm I'm not a huge fan of that for the reasons you you know you've touched on. I mean, I think if you don't know that that's in there, for example, not everybody's going to think to check their their foundation practical ingredients, then, you know, or concealer with salicylic acid, you could potentially end up with a really red, dry, kind of blemished area if you've already put an active product on there like salicylic acid or benzoyl peroxide. So that point of it. Next thing is it's rare that skincare and makeup hybrids of that sort are optimized for the right level. You know, you could put a a whisker of vitamin C there and say it's an antioxidant serum foundation. But at the end of the day, if it's not the right dose, it won't do anything. It may not even be stabilized correctly or in the right sort of packaging. So I think the care that goes into making cosmeceutical skincare is often not there when it comes to cosmetics. Hyaluronic acid is a moisturizing ingredient. So I have no problem with that being in there. Again, it's just about what your expectations are. Yeah, it might be nice hydrating and have a nice feel, it may not give you that long-lasting hydration. You may well find it dries out, looks patchy because you need those exclusive ingredients really to help keep the water in the skin. So no one wants their foundation drying out. So I can kind of, I don't know, I look at all these things and I think, yeah, nice enough. It's just the one ingredient that it absorbs really easily into the skin. So you can easily get in there and it, it tends to be really easy to formulate. So that's one of the few things I think, well, it's in there and you're not already using kind of a maxed out amount in your and then, then, then fine, that's great. Well, right. thank you, Dr. Bunting, so much for giving us all of your one-on-one on serums, what's bogus, what we should be investing in. Really loved our chat today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Love you to hang out with you guys. Thanks for listening. You can find details on every product mentioned in today's episode, along with our exclusive promo codes on our blog at breakingbeautypodcast.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Every episode will be delivered directly to your inbox so you won't miss a single thing. And get social with us. Let us know what you think of the episode. You can follow us on Instagram at breakingbeautypodcast. And did you know we also have a private Facebook group? Just search Breaking Beauty Podcast chat room. You can even leave us a voicemail at any time with questions or feedback at 1-844-227-0302. And don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast fix. Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, where you can show us some love by writing a review. See you next Wednesday. 